excited about this week, excited about this message, is, uh, is, is the name of the message is Fearless. The series is called Fearless. Last week, we learned about a, a guy named Benaiah who chased lions. Literally, he was a guy in uh, King David's army who uh, was kind of like a special forces guy. I mean, he had ridiculous skills. They, all of these guys uh, could pretty much do anything that they put their mind to. They were really trained well. So they would be our uh, modern-day special forces types guys. Now, this week, a couple other fellows that I want to introduce you to, but the main premise of last week, what we saw break off of you were these fears, I mean, these phobias, these doubts, and some of you have been in, in serious uh, financial fear or perhaps other fears, that uh, phobias. We had some interesting phobias that we talked about last uh, week. One of them was like, I think it was called teranophobia. It was the fear of being tickled by feathers. You know, there were other fears that we, we talked about. I think there was one called homolophobia, and that's the fear of sermons. And praise God, you, you weren't afraid to come back this week and hear it. So, you know, uh, we're dealing with fears. Our culture is just saturated by fears. And, and one of the things that last week we talked about, okay, we've diagnosed the problem, but now how do I stay free of them? And that's what the, the context of today's message is all about. And I want you to ingrain this in your head. I, fear tolerated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. And the thing that you have to understand is that there are going to be moments in your life where you will have to risk it. Say, I'm a risk taker. You, you are. And what I want you to see is that you have power at your disposal to deal with fear. doesn't mean you don't feel fear. doesn't mean that, I mean, I feel fear even thinking about dancing up here. I have no rhythm in my body. It's about like this, you know, a little bit of an overbite. And that's about, you know, that's about it. I have a fear of being a complete idiot up here while preaching. But I have to press through it. So uh, at times in life, God is going to ask you to risk things. A couple of stories come to mind, a couple of entrepreneurs that, how many of you heard of Chick-fil-A? How many of you eaten a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Okay, half. It's a big South thing. Growing up, uh, the owner of the place was a guy named uh, Truett Cathy, and Truett Cathy had a decision to make years ago, back in 1967. He had one outfit. And this fellow by the name of Colonel Sanders came around, you've heard of him, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and offered to have him take his business and be a part of what Kentucky Fried Chicken was doing. But Truett Cathy faced a decision because, see, he liked to go to church on Sundays, and if that day, if he wanted to be a part of KFC, he had to open on Sundays. But he wanted, he had a vision and, and, a, and an opportunity from the Lord to say, I want to go to church on Sundays, and I want people who work for me to do that because that's just what I want to do. Well, over the years, over the years, extreme pressure to, I don't want to be open on Sunday because you don't want to be, you want to be open on Sunday because you're going to lose millions of dollars. He calculated over a hundred billion, hundred millions, quite a difference there, hundred million over the years. But what happens is, is that he, he was true to his values, what God called him to do. And then when people were declining salaries, when salaries were going down in, in, in recessions and bad things, his, his employees were getting raises. In fact, let me, let me just read you a couple of statistics here because I don't want to forget them. Uh, over 1,500 franchise later, nearly 40 states, it's a $3.5 billion empire, and he's funded Bibles for every public school in Georgia. Impact. Impact. Another one for you. 
David Green. How many know what Hobby Lobby is? David Green, entrepreneur, same type of scenario. Years ago, 1967, he had uh, for $600, excuse me, 1972, he had 600 bucks. Today, he founded that one thing, and today he has over 450 stores nationwide. He employs over 20,000 people. Now, what's interesting is both of these guys have faced ridiculous pressure from atheist groups, gay rights groups. How many understand we love homosexuals, but we don't approve of the lifestyle? It's that simple. So he took a stand for that, has taken, I mean, lawsuits are filed all the time against people who take a stand in the work. These are marketplace missionaries, and they are fearless. If they can do it, so can you. Be fearless. And that's just one aspect that I want to talk about today, about putting God first and his agenda first. Now, here's the challenge. We want to tackle our fear. We want to engage the conflict. We want to chase our lions away. So what motivates you? You know, I often hear Dave Ramsey. I love, I love what he talks about. He says, with gazelle-like intensity, you need to tackle your debt. It, it isn't until you're motivated that things change. I mean, if somebody came to me today and said, Ryan, your daughter has a week to live and you need $10,000 to scrounge that up and we could fix her within seven days, how many of you would say I'd be motivated? I'd find that $10,000. Now, I wouldn't extort but I would leverage, I would do everything I can, and I'd be on my knees too. That'd be my first thing I'd do. But again, it is motivation to take what your current circumstance is. How many of you are really thrilled about your current situation right now? Raise your hand. Wow. This message is for you guys then, okay? Let's, uh, let's, let's attack that. You know, um, when an addict get sick and tired of being sick and tired, ask me how I know, they make changes because they get tired of, there's three options for a, an alcoholic like myself. It's either, uh, it's either jail, uh, there's a place called the morgue, or an insane asylum. That's pretty much it. That's, that's where we're headed. Uh, and, and the worst part is you're motivated to change, but you don't have the power to change. What I want in your hands today is the power to change your circumstances. So how do we do that? How do we break fear and stay free? We talked about David's mighty men. That's our text example for today. A couple other guys I want to talk about. The thing that you have to understand about these mighty men, they, their, their, their heroism, their courage was all caught from their mentor. David, how many understand he was pretty brave going up against Goliath? So his courage was contagious. His men under him caught the vision. They got courageous. So I'm making a case for being a part of a church that's courageous because that same courage is contagious. A fearless church does fearless things in a community. And that's what we want to do. That's, what, that's where God wants to position us. So I want to turn in your Bibles, or you can see it on the screen, or you can look at it at your nice iPod or iPad. You know, just a side mark, it, what Steve Jobs did for us in many senses, I mean, you know, I understand he may or may not have been a Christian. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's evidence to say he isn't. That's not the point. The point is, is that he used, and I would hope that he is in heaven. I hope that he did receive Christ. But his contribution, do you know that his parents, I saw this, I think Heidi Welch, you posted that on Facebook. I saw where his mother uh, had a choice to either have him or not. 
In essence, can you imagine if he was aborted? And we, I mean, forget the technology. Think of his contributions. See, God can use circumstances and people and places and things in our life. It's redemptive. And, and I just, I imagine that, that young woman at that time was in fear. But have courage. Have courage when the trials are on. Have courage because you don't know how God's going to redeem it through it. I say this all the time. You're not always going to be delivered from the fire, but he'll give you courage to walk through it. Swing your swords is the name of your message today. 2 Samuel 23, verse 9. It says, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. That sounds like a bad disease. <laughs> but Eleazar's name literally means whom God helps. And you have to understand, names mean something in the Hebrew culture. So that name, Eleazar, means whom God helps. His parents, his lineage, the, his parents actually were fierce warriors. They were military. Basically, they were Jedis. Ridiculous. And, and these guys, they, I mean, they, they grew up in this culture. I mean, uh, you remember the Spartans, the 300 Spartans, everything that they did were, was designed for war. They, they did not cower from a fight. So they were well-trained. But he was a process. Then verse 10, it says, or excuse me, verse 9, as one of the three mighty men, he, meaning Eleazar, was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamin for battle. Now, you have to understand what the Philistines represent. They were the, the people that attacked the people of God. They were against the people of God. But the Philistines in our modern-day culture is, is really an archetype for sin. It's for the enemy the enemy of our soul or, or, or contrary arguments against the true counsel of the word of God, it's things and weapons forged against you to rob you of your promised land. The Israelites had to take back what was theirs because it was trying to be infected and infiltrated by the Philistines. King David was a man of war. He, he, he took on fear. Now, the, the men of Israel, it says here, so he's gathered with, with David here, and, and everything's going good. They've got confidence. And then the next verse, it says, then the Israel, men of Israel retreated. So everybody's excited about the war oh, until we have to fight. How many of you know, understand that when you're in a fight, people will leave you? Everybody's excited on the pregame speech, but when they go out to see the Philistines, the real people is who stands and fights. Now, here's the sad part. It says the men of Israel retreated. That means not many were left. And it says in verse 10, he said, but he stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Too many people become Johnny-come-latelys. Too many people come when the war's over and they ask God, God, why won't you use me? Is this resonating? We all love the, the aftermath, and the, the, but when you're in the war, whose glory are we to lift up? Ours or his? His. He gets glory when the odds are against you. Instead of praying for your circumstances to change necessarily, ask God to deliver you from it and give glory to him for it. For the victory, not for the trial. 
And that's the key thing. But it says, and this is the part I want you to think about, Eliezer, now think about this, his hand froze to the sword. So his hand is literally, the, the scholars seem to indicate that two things happen here. I think it's both. One, that he killed so many Philistines that the blood literally got his hand to the sword. Literally, it dried. There's a thought there. I'm more inclined to think that he had, his grip was so tight that sword couldn't come out. Either way, he whacked a lot of Philistines. He killed a lot of people. And so, as I was studying for this message, you know what that represents for us? Right here. This is your sword, Christians. This is your modus operandi. This is your training ground. This is what you do to defeat your ites, your Philistines, anything that is contrary to the word of God. You swing this sucker and you don't let it go. When sickness comes against you, you use this thing and you say, nope, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. I don't receive that. Swing that sucker. Now here's the thing. If I have this right here, I look good. I look religious. I look like I know what I'm doing, right? If I had, picture this as a sword. I look like a military guy. I can dress all up. I look fantastic, right? But if I don't swing my sword, the Philistines are going to take me out, correct? Too many Christians come to church on Sunday with their Bibles, but they don't use it as a sword. Take them out. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. My goal at the end of this is to give you a strategic opportunity and a weapon and how to use it and how to use it in your everyday life, not just on Sundays, but every day in every situation. That's how we become fearless through the word of God. Well, Eliezer's victory was decisive. And as I said, others picked up the spoil, but you know, it says that he was weary. You know, we're going to be weary in battle. Sometimes it seems like when that, that, that moment is coming and you are about to tip and ask me how I know this. I, I've been on my knees before going, God, where are you? And I still speak it, and I still thank him, and I'm not seeing any results. And then one day, I love to call it the then suddenly moments. And God, suddenly. Now, God didn't just do it suddenly. He did it suddenly, but all of that preparation. You know, there's really no such thing as an overnight success story. Preparation. One calculated decision, one godly, uh, Truett Cathy didn't just have become an overnight success story. He put God first and God honored it, but it was a process. Many times the, the, the Philistines that we face, we want immediate results, but sometimes you get weary, but you press on and you use your sword. You know, knowing Bible verses and using them are two different things. Once up becomes revelation, you don't let go of that sword. But see, if I'm your enemy, I'm going to keep you from using your sword. I'm going to talk you out of it. I'm going to tell you the, the nine reasons why it doesn't work. And I'm going to talk you out of healing. I'm going to talk you out of financial blessing. I'm going to tell you why tithing isn't true for today. I'm going to do everything I can to get you marginalized. Why? Because it keeps you, it, you're not on fire anymore. You're neutralized. And what did most of the men do? They fleed. But where was the spoils? <laughs> <laughs> for the ones that won the war and the ones that engaged. And I, and I perished to think, what if these guys didn't fight that battle? And, 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 and I look at America today and I go, yep. I met with Congressman Reed Ribble this past weekend and, and I asked him you know, about 
you know, the culture, and he was asking about pastors, we were idea sharing, and the one thing that I, that I said to him, I said, you know, too many people are blaming politicians left and right for all of our problems. I said this a couple of weeks ago, you know who the problem is? Us. We're the problem. Because we tolerate, we tolerate bad decisions, we tolerate debt that goes out of control, and we're, we're leading by example. If we change, government changes. If we change and we take our stands, the people around us are forced to make a decision. Whom will you serve? The God who delivers? And, and, and so, as I, and I'm not trying to make a political statement on this, is that I envision a day where people literally take the word of God, they stand on it, and people's lives change. You know what? I see it every day. And you will have to walk through fear. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I came up here, and the Lord was speaking to me to, to, to speak out, to say, ask somebody if they had respiratory issues. Uh, I felt like somebody, so I, I asked people, some of you were here, a lot of you were here, and, and not a hand raised. So I went home, and I looked at Ho, I said, gosh, I just missed that, didn't I? I just missed that. I missed God. Last week, guy comes up after service, says, by the way, you couldn't see me. I was way back in the back over here, and the moment you prayed, it went. That's not me. That's him. But see, I was petrified to even say that stuff because, I mean, we have to risk it. I have to be willing to look like an idiot up here. Woohoo! You know? I will not dance. Jeremiah 1.12 says this. It says, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it. Here's, here's the thing. If God said it, I can believe it, I speak it, and it will happen. Ryan, it's not that simple. No, his word is simple. Doing it and performing it and, and believing it, we mess it up. We make it that hard. Well, God says I'm healed. Well, I don't feel healed. It doesn't matter how I feel. It's what God's word says. We live by our feelings, and, and God's asking us not to. It doesn't mean that you don't feel fear. It doesn't mean you don't have emotions. It doesn't mean, but when we use the word as a sword, things change. In fact, Jesus died for promises. He's telling us that we have promises, precious promises, and the church itself is trying to talk the church out of those promises. I don't want to be one of those churches. I want to believe God for big things. Speak promises over your finances. God has plans to prosper me. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. He is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Psalm 23. We need to say that all the time. He's given me ability and power to create opportunities and wealth uh, in Deuteronomy. I'm a tither, according to Malachi 3. says he will rebuke the devourer for my sake. Let's not complicate it. Let's just believe it. He'll supply all my need according to his riches. Philippians 4.19. It says to speak promises over your relationships. Me and my household will be saved. Acts 16.31. Great is the peace of my children, for they are taught of the Lord at Life Church. Start speaking these things over yourself and over your kids. Luke 6.38 says that when I give, it's going to come back in greater measure. Start saying, I reap the goodness of God because Jesus is good. It's not that I'm good or I deserve it. It's because Jesus is good. He died. He took the penalty for all of our sins 2,000 years ago. It is finished. Now receive it. Receive it. It's that simple. Speak promises over your mind and body. The Bible says that we're the head, not the tail. Use the word of God 
over our circumstances. Now, we talked a little bit about Eliezer. But one of the things that, that I think that we miss in that story is about the part where he stood his ground. And, and it's interesting in the context of the scriptures, I'm going to show you this next one. There's a constant theme there. When you walk through fear, you're going to have to stand your ground. You're going to have ideas, philosophies, and circumstances contrary to what you're going through right now. What you're going through right now may be contrary to the word of God. And everything in your mind is screaming that God's not going to show up. That's when you need to speak it more. God will deliver. I'm not bragging on us. I'm bragging on Jesus because it's his anointing that destroys your problems. His anointing. His anointing. If you don't swing the sword, the enemy will advance. I want to take a detour because I I think people look at Job. How many of you know about poor old Job? Poor old Job got a bad rap over the years, you know? Uh, A lot of schools of thought on poor old Job. The thing is, he was a godly man. He was a patriarch back in the days of Abraham. Uh, He had tremendous wealth, and then one day it all went. Most scholars believe he had a really bad year. Lost his family, lost his fortune, lost it all. And so then the voice vultures come and they say, well, you must have been in blatant sin or you did this or you did that and it's all your fault and this and that. And what the whole point of the story is, is that he didn't have a clear picture of the goodness of God. He didn't see that it was Satan who was the accuser who was attacking him. How do we know that? We know it from the very first chapter when he's asking God to sift him. What's interesting is, is that he had to ask God permission because there was a hedge of protection around Job. Why do you think there was a hedge of protection around Job? What does that say about God? Does he care? How much more in grace with Jesus Christ do you have a hedge of protection? Now think about this. Now, it says in in chapter 3 of Job, it says that the thing that I dreaded and I feared has come upon me. Okay? Now, some people like to beat up old Job, and, and I'm not one here to deliberate whether or not poor old Job brought it all on himself and it's all Job's fault. But let me give some advice to you whether you try to figure out all of your negative circumstances or not. Understand this. God is good all the time. He does not attack you. He's for you. He died for you. So let's get that straight right now. Okay? Some circumstances, as a pastor, people go and ask ridiculous things happen. And you ask, well, Ryan, what, is it my fault? I don't know. They don't like that answer. But the truth is, is I, I, I may not know. And here's the thing. We judge other people saying, well, wait a minute. You must be in some blatant sin. They may be, but are you to judge them? No. Let God reveal that to them. Here's the other thing. There are circumstances that happen where God does permit. He allowed him to sift him. Now, the question is, as he's in, as he's in fear, how much did that involve that hedge of protection going down? I I want you to think about this rationally. Whether or not that's true or not, whether or not that hedge of protection, so Job was talking fear all the time, the hedge of protection. Here's the thing, whether scholars debate this or not, here's the thing for today. Do you know that when you talk fear, your hedge of protection will come down? Your physical body chemistry will change. If you start thinking, if somebody came up here and held my hand and asked me to think a negative thought, my hand would go down. It's that simple. Simple science proves that what you say negatively adversely affects your body chemistry. That's science. How much more, uh, when people operate in a victim spirit, 
And, and we've all had bad things happen, but a victim spirit will attract more abuse. Have you guys felt this before? You know what I'm talking about. And, and, and over time, when you, when you operate in constant fear, it, it becomes a connector. I can remember Hope telling the story of us buying our first house, the first house, and we really didn't have a piece about it. We bought it, and, 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 and we talked about the house and how we were afraid that everything was going to go wrong in that house and, you know, generators or whatever was going to go out, and, and, and guess what happened? The thing that I dreaded came upon me. Okay? And I'm not here to sit here and beat up poor old Job. In the end, God restored double for his trouble. And so if you've had loss, instead of wasting all of your time dwelling on what happened, how about trust God for your present and your future? How about a better plan? That's a better battle plan. And the best thing about it is, is if Job, even if that had happened, if he would have stayed positive in the beginning through that, regardless of what's going on, he's still a happier person. You can't lose by operating in faith. You cannot lose. What if they take out my body? Then the ultimate healing is with Jesus. Cast your care upon him. What I'm trying to say is fear is only a weapon against your mind. You don't need to receive it or accept it. Let's not get into dread and understand that the role of the destroyer is destroy. God is good all the time. I can tell you, Fear tries to come against us all. I mean, here I, you know, I believe in not faith in faith. I believe in faith in Jesus and what he can do. But, you know, I've had the thought, I'm one bad sermon away from torpedoing this whole joint. I say one bad thing and they're out the door. That fear's come against me. Or when I preach on tithing, every pastor, they won't tell you it. It's a dirty little secret. But the truth is, is that none of us like to necessarily preach it based on your reaction, but I love to preach it because I see the empowerment on the other side of it. So I know I'm doing what's right for you, even though you may hate me for it. Please don't hate me. Don't be haters. I know tithing works in so many ways. And the number one reason is when God gets your treasure, he gets you. He doesn't have you unless he's got your treasure. Now that's a little tough, but I'll tell you, that speaks true to me. He didn't have me until he got that from me. And so when it, it, it works, I don't know why it works, but God and his word said it works, and so I believed it. But going back to our heroes, uh, God's work, work, he will trump your lack of qualifications. Many of us have excuses. Well, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, and by golly, people don't like me. Can the excuses. Can them. Because the truth is, all throughout the Bible, you know what I see? He uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses the simple thing to uproot the intelligentsia of the day. He's doing it today, he'll do it tomorrow, because God wants people who love him and trust him and walk on water with him. Boy, I'm just feeling that today. woo No, come on. Corral him. <laughs> Stand your ground. Second Samuel 23, and I'm thinking about closing. Dave, you can come on up and play some piano just to give him, give him at ease. Packer game's not till 7. We've got 8 hours. Next to him was Second Samuel 23, verse 11. Uh, next to him, Eleazar, was Shammah, son of Aji, the Herorite. 
uh, again, interesting verbiage. Uh, but his name means desolation, astonishment, and desertion. So this hero of the faith, this mighty man of valor, and his name literally means astonishment, desertion, desolation. So his name is very negative. And in Hebrew culture, names mean stuff. So when the going got tough, it means that according to his name, he should be a runner and a coward. His, daddy, his daddy's name, Shema's daddy's name, was A.G. You know what that means? Fugitive. So in Hebrew culture, that's a really bad name. Uh, so what we can assume from Shema is that he had no mentorship. His daddy was a coward. He had every excuse in the book not to be a mighty man of valor. He didn't have anything handed to him. And the odds were against him. Somehow he wound up on David's list of mighty men. And it says, When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. The interesting thing about that field, it was a field of lentils. That was meaningful to them. That was a source of commerce for them. It was also part of their promised land. And he refused to back down. No matter what the odds were, no matter what the voice vultures, no matter what his friends said. And if you're a teenager, you need to hear this. Actually, we all need to hear this. God is looking for people to stand on his word with his values. Let me read you some of the enemy lies. To the young person, he'll say, have sex out of marriage, do drugs, sacrifice your honor and your integrity at the altar of popularity. To the adults, he'll say, the enemy will say, God doesn't care about your healing or your finances. You'll always be addictive. Your marriages won't improve or you'll never get remarried. You'll never get a raise and you'll never find the right person to spend life with you. You'll always be alone. God does not care about your needs. But here's God's truth. Counter to that, it says... Cast your cares onto him because he does what he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for you. He cares. He cares. You need to use the word and stand on it and know it. There's so many promises in here. So many promises. When I got revelation that my circumstances temporarily are subject to change when I use his word as a weapon. But it all starts, that weapon starts by knowing him. If you don't know him and know his nature, it's hard to use a weapon when you first don't even know the commander in chief who will train you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to take that opportunity right now. You say, Pastor Ryan, I'm, I'm getting a revelation of some of this. And the truth is, is that I've got sin in my life that I have not dealt with, that I need to, and I know that's a dirty little word. No one likes to say sin anymore, but we've all sinned. Bible says we have. We've all missed the mark. We've all made mistakes. And I would encourage you to stop beating yourself up over those mistakes. And I would say, instead of running from God, run to God. Because real power comes when you know how much he loves you. And he'll help you defeat the lions. He'll help you defeat the Philistines that are trying to attack your body, attack your mind, attack your finances, and attack your future. 
This is the God we serve. It's why I get excited about preaching about him, about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus, but no one can force you to. But you say, well, Ryan, I, I don't know if I'm right with him, and, and I hear what you're saying. How do I do that? It's simple. You make a decision. You decide to stand in the field with God. You say yes to Jesus. You say, yes, I want you to be not only my Savior, I want you to be my Lord. Lordship means total control. That's not easy for some of us. Total control. But all throughout the Bible, you see there's a blessing when you do it God's way every day. Doesn't mean that you're not going to sin again. You will. What it means is you've got a Savior there who will walk through it. And so instead of when you do sin, you go to him. You don't run from him. If you're not right with God, would you raise your hand right now? I want you to know, if you know that you know that when you die today or tomorrow or 50 years from now, that you would be in heaven with him, not based on your good works, but what he did. If you don't know and you're not right, please raise your hand right now. I want to pray a prayer with you. Thank you. A couple back there. Thank you for those two. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray a prayer. I want you to say it. In fact, I'm going to ask the whole congregation to pray it. But if you, in your heart, have said this prayer and you mean it, what I want you to do is to take a step after this, and I want you to go and pick up a Bible that we're going to give to you, and I want you to begin your journey talking to God. But let's, let's say this prayer. Repeat after me. Father in heaven, I receive your forgiveness and the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross who paid for my sins so I can be with you in a relationship with you and in God's power I consider it done amen here is the book this is the New Testament uh, how to find God and I really encourage any of you who've said that prayer and even if you haven't picked up a book or you need a Bible we like to give them away uh, pick this up and begin that journey. Chapter uh, John, the, the Gospel of John is a great start. John and Romans, just awesome. But we encourage you to bring the lost here. How many of you know we all need this message? We beat fear by connecting to the one who brings faith, and that's Jesus. Fear is a connector, and I want you all free of that. Next week, we're going to start a new series called Move. And there's going to be three parts to that. Next week is learning how to move closer to God. Some of you say, oh, I like Sundays, but I'm just not connecting with God the rest of the week. I believe that God can solve that problem for you next week, okay? So come back next week. Invite a friend. How many of you are free of fear? I should see every ha hand in the house. Do I have to dance? So I have to put my money where my mouth is, huh? Can we, can we get a little? I can't hammer. Hope you want to dance with me? Come on, can I at least do a jitterbug? I can do that. Come on. Come on. The old Texan. No. Tell her to come up here, please. Come on. Hey. I, I, I can't do the hammer thing. But I can country. You got a little country? I can do country. Country and glasses don't work. Come on, hon. Come on. Come on. All right, ready? Woo. You 
are dismissed. See you next week.